From Content360, this is the state of client acquisition. Welcome to the state of client acquisition. This is your host, Michael Bohannes. In today's episode, I am reviewing my entire company strategy. So I was inspired by someone uh, called Louis Grenier. He is a uh, marketing guru. He's been having a podcast for a long time, I believe for four years. And he at some point, I think it was a year ago, published a video where he was reviewing his company strategy. What can he do with this audience that he has built up? And I was very inspired by that. I really liked how he did it, not least from the standpoint of radical transparency. I think it was great that he shared what are his challenges. And so I decided I'm going to do that too, not least because it has helped me dramatically to accelerate my own strategy formulation. You know, this is one of those things that are easy to delay. You know, you're caught up in the in the hustle and bustle of the daily business, helping clients, getting new ones and all of that. So I was thinking it's good to pause and to draft a strategy for the next one and a half years. And the timing is it's September now. So it's good to say, okay, what's going to happen in the end of Q4 and in the next year? And so for this, it was a good moment to do that. So in this episode, which I did as a LinkedIn, Facebook and YouTube live at the same time, which I did for the first time, going live on all of these platforms at once, there was a bit of a technical glitch in the beginning where the video wasn't great, but it won't affect your uh, if your uh, viewing experience uh, now that you will be seeing this on YouTube. So I hope that you enjoy this. I think it's quite an interesting look behind the scenes in how my business works. And maybe some of the structure, you can use it yourself for your own strategy formulation. It's not something that I plan to look at. This is not like an Amazon strategy for 20 years out. I don't have that much foresight, but I'm thinking it's a really good hypothesis to go with for the next one and a half years. So without any further ado, let's get right into this episode. So let's do it. So where are we? Um, in case you don't know me, my name, my name is Mike Bohannes. I am founder and CEO of Content360 and my main product is, and the only product is the Alpha Lead Academy. It's a coaching program that helps people, solopreneurs, small B2B to get clients. And I have been doing this in different versions, different iterations. There have been different positionings for this. Most notably, I started out as a LinkedIn coach. And over time, I'm gradually removing myself from this label. And I want to figure out a way how I can make this into a really big business. So full for full transparency, and I'm a huge fan of, of uh, full radical transparency. I think ultimately this is all about building confidence and building uh, trust with your audience. That's what's going to help you win these days in the world of marketing and sales. So complete full transparency here. I have a roughly, I have a run rate of somewhere between 170 to 190,000. I'm probably going to end up the year. My goal is to end the year at 200,000. And that is with purely a coaching product. And the great thing about having a coaching business is that I don't spend a huge amount of time on delivery, on client delivery. Because obviously, because it's a coaching product, I spend maximum per week 10 hours working with clients, 
Of course, it's great. And I love working with clients. But the great thing is about this is that I have 30 to 40 hours per week. I work roughly a 55 hour week. Then with that, I have 45 hours to work on my strategy, to work on content, to to uh, do business acquisition, right? And therefore, the sky is pretty much the limit here. And that's a wonderful thing. So let us now look at my, what is the strategy? I'm going to be working in two documents largely. It's this one where it's like a long form. And here I'm going to then condense my strategy into these things. And so I, this is all I did as preparation. It, it's still largely empty. And we're going to be looking into this as we go. So this is completely unrehearsed. I decided after seeing uh, Louis having done that about a year ago, if not slightly more, I decided, hell, I'm going to do that too. It's a great way to clarify your thinking and to do this quickly and to just put a stake in the ground. Okay, so what do we start with... Uh, when we are creating a strategy overall. First of all, what is the objective that we want to achieve? And for me, let's put it in the simplest terms, build a $1 million business as fast as possible. And I want to put up the constraint without hiring full-time employees. I already have now, my wife is working for us. She's uh, offering mindset training in the Alpha Lead Academy. And I have a couple of freelancers who help me with content production and ad hoc. I had people helping me with outbound and a couple of advisors on occasion who helped me with yeah some things something like setting up setting up um, cold email, for example, somebody helped me with that and so on. So these are just kind of external advisors, some freelancers and my wife. And I want to keep it that way. I want to maybe have a couple of freelancers who help me slightly more with content production, content management mainly. But the rest of the time I want to be uh, running the business myself and get to a million dollar run rate as fast as possible. And so to make that specific, what does it mean build a million dollar business? I want to, I'm going to consider having a, and consider myself having a million dollar business when I have reached, I think that's 86K month. Uh, that means three months in a row, more than 86K per month. That is the goal. And what I maybe want to do here is to, because it's so easily you write that down, I want to see what it will take to get there. So let us run a couple of numbers in order to get to an 86K month. And let's simply, let's round it up. Let's say 90. If we have 90,000, what do we need to, what do we need to achieve here? Let's quick just format it so that it's cleaner. If the goal is 90,000 monthly ref, I have, um, uh, client uh, revenue no it's a revenue per client i hope you all can see my screen if not uh thank you josephine good to see you yeah i hope you can see the screen if not yeah should tell me i can make it a little bit bigger here so revenue per client have recently increased my prices to 7500 so that means i need new clients how many of them do I need? That's 90,000 divided by 75, 12 clients. And this means also 12 clients a month. 
no, sorry. I need 12. Jesus, why does this format? Sorry, I'm a little bit OCD about this. So 12 clients a month, and this means clients per week. That is 12 divided by 4.3. So I need basically three clients a week. In order to get three clients, at least my, my sales figures are approximately, uh, what are my conversion rates? Conversion rate on long calls is, let us do it like this. It's important to have those specifics because I will. This will tell me if I can even make it from a time point of view. So conversion rate on long calls is about forty percent, and my conversion rate from short to long call is about yeah, also forty percent actually. So this means I will need how many? Interesting. Thank you, David. Interesting that the video quality is poor on LinkedIn. Well, that's unfortunate. I don't think anything I can do. Yeah, sure. Thank you, David, for the link. Just go on YouTube if you find it better there. Cool. So how many calls do I need? How many calls do I need? That means if clients, I need to divide this by this and then divide it by, no, sorry. I need this. And those are going to be the long sales calls I need to have per week. That's so I need seven long calls. And then I need this divided by this. Jesus. So that's 17 short calls. Okay. Well, that means that as part of the process, 17 times 15, and you usually need a buffer around it. So that's 30 minutes. How many hours is this that I would be spending in short calls? That's 523 minutes, which is divided by 69 hours. Okay, that's not that bad. And then seven, this is 60, but let's say 90 in, with including preparation. So that's going to be this. Okay, so that's a total of 19 hours per week that I would be only on sales calls. Okay. Stefan Peter, same here. Are you referring to the YouTube versus LinkedIn thing? I'm not, I don't think I can do anything with the call quality, with the video quality. So please do go to YouTube if you can see it better there. In the meantime, I'll, I'll continue. Okay, so 19 hours and purely on sales calls. That is a lot. I will probably need to get someone. Which, but this is good to have done this calculation. I've never done this before. I'm pretty sure I can relatively easily handle 10. So I can get myself to 45K, probably 50K a month with relative ease as far as the sales calls are concerned. The, the thing is here with, with this amount of time, you can see that this isn't, there's no way I could be doing this doing outbound because outbound outbound prospecting, you know, doing messages and so on. That takes so much time. There's no way I could do this myself, which will then lead me to the next thing. Most of this needs to happen via inbound. Okay. But this is the number of hours spent on sales call per sales calls per week. Cool. So I probably, as soon as I hit some 50 K, I will invariably have to get somebody who will do sales calls for me, at least who could do these 
short calls. And we can then see, I think this actually could be quite a good variant where somebody will actually run my short calls, the qualification calls, and the long calls would then be managed. Uh, I, I would then run them, right? And this will still, if I'm, yeah, probably the conversion will be lower because the person will not qualify as well as I do. But even if I spend 12 hours a week, which, how much is that? That's two, three hours a day on sales calls. It's pretty doable. Um, would you, David, would you rather have someone do outbound prospecting or doing sales calls? Well, David, at this point, at that point, when I'm at that level, I hope I will not have to do any outbound prospecting at all. Um, yeah, it's, it will be, there will be still outbound prospecting. I still think some of it I will have to do because, but the thing is the outbound prospecting that you and I worked on is really to strangers and I'm not going to be doing that anymore. I don't do that now anymore because by now my content has had enough reach that the only outbound prospecting I effectively do now is to warm people already who I've had like good interaction with on LinkedIn, in groups, in other circumstances, on email, for example, that they are already warm. So I don't do any cold anymore because of these reasons. I hope that that answers the question. Which I but the question was, would you rather have someone do outbound prospecting or doing sales calls? Yeah, so outbound prospecting won't happen, hopefully. And the sales calls, I will probably have to get someone, if only for the for the 15. Yeah, yeah, it's a big difference maker, definitely. So it's I'm probably gonna get then get somebody like half time. I mean, the goal is that I don't have anyone doing my uh, like a full-time employee, but I think to get to a million a year, I'm probably not going to be able to do that without, um, okay, except, okay, except the fact that you'll need um, half-time salesperson, but I hope that I can get somebody who would only be commission-based, and even if I get them full-time, they could do some prospecting for me but the, to be fair i really like doing this i really like doing the prospecting with people who are already warm but yes you you, you i i will probably have to cut down on it myself okay good so but at least we have the goals formulated and i know that i will not be able to get completely by without that okay so the next step is after we've done the object the formulated the objective and the strategy let's diagnose what's currently going on Okay, so I've pre-written some of these points, but I hope I'll come up with more as we go. So I've built a some 170K year business despite having very low traction on organic content. That's going to be the main thing. I It's going to be a repetitive thing. I feel that especially on LinkedIn, I don't know why, but that is one of my Achilles heels. I get when people like me, then they really like me and then they come my way and I have great conversion once I'm in with somebody in conversation. But for some reason, I cannot seem to hit this wide reach with my content that I see other people have. And this comes squarely down to me not being educated enough and not having a consistent content practice. I mean, I do post consistently. I have content almost every day. But I don't know the true the true masterclass. I have not reached that yet. And I sometimes see people who are, I mean, you shouldn't compare yourself, but it's sometimes useful to see what is possible. I see people who have half the following that I do. 
and they have like five, 10 times the engagement that I do. So engagement isn't any, everything. And I keep preaching this, that you should not be beholden to engagement because very often these are vanity metrics, but it is a fact that the people who are very successful, of those at least who I know who are very successful and for whom organic is a great source of clients, they simply have a very high levels of engagement from exactly the right people. And there are people who have built several million dollar businesses with purely LinkedIn, purely organic. And I want to get to that point. I'm fine maybe to supplement a little bit because I think overall on LinkedIn, the reach of content is declining. Everybody says that. Everybody's seeing their own view numbers decline. That is fine. I still think we have some good one to two years to go. At least that was one of the guys that I'm very much uh, following and who I've learned a lot from, Chris Walker. I'm going to mention him later on as well in different contexts. He says that LinkedIn is probably another opportunity for like until 2023. He says that the period from 2018 to 2023 will be known as the period of, of uh, LinkedIn and uh, quality social organic. It's in the same way as SEO, for example, was really hot for B2B businesses from 2008 to, 2000, to 2013. So that's, that's where we are in this. And uh, yeah, so where was I? Yeah, so this will be one of the things that I really need to work on. But the great thing is, and this is this is on the plus side, I seem to really resonate as relatively small as my audience is. The message that I offer seems to resonate really, really nicely. I'm very happy with that, that I think it's somehow the mix of my slightly bookish background, the fact that I have a I don't know, I think it maybe helps that I have an MBA, that I worked at Google, that I worked in management consulting. This is probably the area where I distinguish myself from many of my competitors who also like LinkedIn coaches and so on. They very often simply have this more kind of salt of the earth, earthy kind of approach that they are very talented with content. But, and I'm, I'm going to be posting this soon. It's one of the things, let me quickly share this. I hope you can see this. Yeah, exactly this. What most LinkedIn coaches help you with it's content and inbound leads. And we help you with this whole thing. Strategy and business model rethink, positioning offer creation, funnel build and optimization, content, of course, prospecting and social selling, selling and closing on Zoom, systems and processes, and all of that. So that's what we help you with. And I've seen this that many, uh, very small in the video. Okay, sorry, Stefan, thank you for sharing. Uh, let's see, I hope this is better. Can you see better now? Good. I, th I can see it myself that it's better. Yeah. Okay. So I see that many of my competitors are offering this similar services to me, but I just have this much more academic and not academic as in like bookish and ivory tower, but I have like a framework. This is like a proper business framework that I have and people resonate with that. And especially on the strategy side, I've had several clients. Let me at least share this. My greatest client, strategy, offer creation, social selling, and sales. Um, and I would say this is like my, if I can say this in an unhumble way, uh, zone of genius are positioning calls. David, your message and methodology is what sold me. I put very little weight into your professional background, but maybe I'm in the minority. No, no, no. I get that. I get it that you 
it's, it's, I don't think that the fact that I have an MBA and Google is what sells. I just think that it helps the the background and the let's say intellectual rigor helps me in building a methodology that works, which then in the end finds and attracts people like yourself, David. Right. So that's that. There is yeah, people always like crap on MBAs, but there is an advantage to this. You know, I've learned a couple of things in there that are valuable. So I'm very skeptical of having spent. I don't know how much was that. It was comparably cheap still, like 36,000 pounds on my MBA, which now would be like you would spend three times that uh, on it. But so I'm sometimes crapping on it myself. But in the end, you do learn a couple of good things there. Cool. Okay, so Zone of Genius, our positioning calls, had some clients who said that the positioning call alone, which is like the first call in the program was worth the entire investment. Okay, so that is, and I see the problem with phrasing my offer, and I cannot have my offer phrased as like I'm the positioning guru or something like this, is that not enough people see this as a problem. They want to, and that's maybe a good lesson to learn from for everyone when you're listening, is that you have to, the marketing has to contain the sexy stuff. Like I, my marketing message is I help you get clients. And then what people get, the product, then it helps them to do the things that are necessary, right? So the, the marketing sells the dream and the product then gives people what they need. Exactly. So marketing is you give people what they want and sale and product is then give people what they need. And so I don't think I can actually successfully advertise the idea that I'm the positioning guru because many people don't realize that this is what they need help with. They just want to get clients. And as part of the client acquisition process, we work on their strategy and their positioning. And that is not Obviously, it's not the same thing. We, you cannot start doing content and outbound and so on if your fundamentals, if your positioning is not right. Cool. Good. So despite my relatively poor engagement on LinkedIn, the majority of my business, 60% is inbound. LinkedIn being my primary source of that. Some email. I've, I have a small, very small, small email list. 350 people. So far, source of one client. Um, and I just see email. I don't sell very much on the email. Like sometimes I, I would say something like, like, what do I do just so that your new arrivals on the list are actually familiar with what I do, but I don't really sell anything on the, on the email list. Uh, what do I have? Let's list all the assets. So I have some 10,000 followers on LinkedIn. And this is the thing. I'm not sure if I have to cut down on them. There's this big discussion raging, well, we're hardly raging, but there's a discussion about whether you should purge your list. Some people swear by it. I am not so sure. I have, for example, found somebody who I would have purged from my list if I had thought, okay, this is this my client persona. And she referred her husband to me who became a client. So she's a corporate person, definitely not in my target audience. And she, ref uh, she referred her husband to me 
who became a client. So I'm very skeptical of purging, but maybe, and this will be the thing I will have to do at some point in order to get my engagement numbers up on LinkedIn. Okay, so what are the diagnoses? Um, I've seen that what resonates with my audiences, audience is art core business framework stuff the brainy bits and i think this is this is awesome for me because i am uh, i'm good at that and this is can be something of my usp that there's so many of my competitors on linkedin somehow they've cracked that code and they have broken through and are very successful with the with their content i feel that this is there's maybe a little bit of luck involved in this as well. And I, one of the things that I offer to my clients and why many, I think clients have signed up. Um, David, I'm going to answer your questions in a second. Why some of my clients have signed up is that I can help you to get clients, even if you don't have a large audience. In fact, many of my clients who have gotten their first, their first clients on their end, didn't have much content presence whatsoever. I mean, David, you, you're one of the best examples here, I think, right? You haven't done much, much content yourself. So that is actually part of my USP, but still the, the benefit that you can get with increased organic reach is just immeasurable. And I keep seeing people who have somehow broken through and then their business really takes off. So I think there is, if you can scale that, and I think I already have a great content recipe. There's still just some things that I need to do in addition to break through there. And this was going to be something that I have to work on. This is going to be the main focus for the next uh, for the next few weeks and months. Okay, David, to your question, what are the two sides of that argument? Why purge? Well, the side for uh, purging says, okay, you should purge your network to only include your ideal target persona. Um, yeah, exactly. David, me hovering around 500 to 600 connections at the time and still gained clients. Exactly. And you didn't have much content presence. I don't think you were posting a huge amount of content and you still got, got clients, right? So that is the thing that so many of my competitors have this proposition of, oh my God, you're going to do content and uh, then the business is going to take off. Well, my proposition is content is great, but the beginning of your business, when you're at the very early stage, thank you, David, correct. Uh, at the beginning of the business, you will, the only chance that you can get clients is by actually picking up the phone, the metaphorical phone and talking to people. And that means cold prospecting. You will not be able to go without cold prospecting, period. That is also one of the few things that I disagree with Chris Walker around, who is otherwise somebody who I very much respect, who knows a ton of stuff in his space. But the thing is, he is He's in uh, the corporate space. So he works with corporates who, of course, can afford to just get by with their standard old, old school marketing stuff. Solopreneurs who need to get a client in the next month or two, they cannot go buy content alone. And that is one of my value propositions that gets people over the line. So good. But back to your questions, David, about what are the two sides of the argument for purging your network on LinkedIn? The side that argues pro-purging says that you should only have your target persona as your audience because it's simply when LinkedIn sees a post from you, they show it to uh, like a subset of your target audience. And if your 
And based on their behavior, they then decide whether it's going to go far and wide into the LinkedIn network or not. And so they, let's say I put out a post, they share it to 10 5, 10% of my audience. And the ratio of people who engage is relatively low. This means that based on the, and I don't know if the, if that share of the audience is completely just of like the average sample, or if they already take people who tended to engage with my stuff before, because I keep seeing people whose stuff I engaged with. So I presume that they would first show it to the people who tend to engage with me. So they show it to a subset first and based on their ratios, they then decide if they're going to distribute it farther into, into LinkedIn. And that means that if you're, network contains people who are not part of your target audience, who are not interested in your content, this will, of course, stifle your distribution. You will not get as much views because of that, as, as many views because of that. So that is the argument for purging, right? I'm saying on the other side, and I tend to fall in the camp, although I'm not super steadfast about it, I tend to fall in the camp that says, do not purge your, your network. Why? Because your network evolves. Somebody who's in corporate now, and I'm targeting small B2B and solopreneurs, somebody who's a small, who's a corporate person now, next month could become a solopreneur, especially in COVID times. So many people were laid off and suddenly they come into my market. Why would I cut off somebody who is not temporarily my network, right? Who is not temporarily, sorry, who is not temporarily my uh, ICP, ideal uh, client profile, right? So that is my argument. Number argument number one. Argument number two is that is that um, people can refer you. As I mentioned, this lady who would normally I totally would have perched. She's a corporate lawyer, right? Has been for fifteen years, and yet her husband is somebody who she uh, pointed me to. He she pointed her husband to me as oh look at this guy. I know him. He could be good for you, right? So that's why I don't want to purge my network. Cool. So hope that hope that makes it makes it clear. Okay. So what else? What resonates with my audience is hardcore business framework stuff, the brainy bits. So I'm gonna probably double down on that. Um, but also what has got me quite far, uh, and what I definitely see with my clients. Uh, yes, con video very blurry. Uh, somebody mentioned this before. Feel free to go and watch the stream on YouTube. David Rapalski posted it earlier at 1.11 p.m. Just watch it on YouTube. Uh, better, better to see it there. Okie doke. So this is my diagnosis. So what resonates with my audience, hardcore business framework stuff, brain inhibits. I'm going to double down on that. But also, and I'm decently good at it, uh, I sometimes do fun content like Recently, I made this um, stuff about the Met Gala, and I also posted this parody video of Jonathan Palmer, and this went sort of moderately viral. So I'm going to keep doing that, keep doing that, uh, but rarely. But what I think is missing, well, we'll get to that, what is missing. We, we'll, we'll, we'll look at the gaps. Okay, <laughs> great. Thank you, Con. Okay, so... Um, so that's, I think in terms of diagnosis, this is pretty good. Um, 
we ha also have, yeah, what I see, what has resonated a lot recently is my split funnel content, funnel and the pot. That presentation, it was a LinkedIn Live, uh, it didn't have a huge amount of views, but I get people coming to me and also after changing my LinkedIn headline, changing it to this, uh, I help small B2B companies, let me just make this a bit bigger, I help small B2B companies and solopreneurs, uh, where is this? Develop client acquisition systems by splitting their funnel into a high-end conversion machine and a nurturing content ecosystem. I've already, and I changed this, I think, two days ago. I had one lady come to me yesterday saying, I'm just very intrigued by your headline. Can we talk? I need help in this area. So this headline seems to be very much resonating with my target market, which is awesome. So... I'm kind of on the on the verge of really breaking through here, but I need to make this more systematic. But again, this slightly more brainy approach where I really present this entire system of client acquisition, that seems to really be resonating and that's what I need to double down on. Uh, alrighty. So let's let's kind of move on from the diagnosis and look at a couple of fundamentals. What is my ICP, ideal client profile? So this is a small B2B CEO and solopreneur. And also who I help are people who want to leave corporate. And I made a couple of personas here in this other document that I wanted to check out again. Yes, those are my seg a couple of segments that I, that I found. Let's make this a little bit bigger. So there's a clarity seekers. These are some, some of my clients. I just disguised them a little bit, but just so that I still can recognize them myself. These are the clarity seekers. So figure out what they'd like to do. Focus on strategy, positioning, offer creation. The main benefit of them is clarity. Then I have the sales seekers. There's a couple of people who are great at what they do. They're just panicking in the whole area of uh, sales. Uh, right? I'm not panicking. Uh, I mean, this is, this is obviously you, David, uh, but it's not about panicking, but it's like simply not having the right framework, the right mindset to do sales, right? They're very competent in their field. They just don't have the, the framework. So the main benefit there is commercializing sales, alpha status and aggressiveness, right? In a, in a, in a positive way. Then there's the scale seekers. These are the people who've had enough clients. They have a strong done for you track record and want to productize. The main benefit there is uh, helping them with the strategy, proactive client acquisition and transfer into product land and the demand gen seekers who are the companies who need to move into the demand gen age. Main benefit is skills transfer with focus on content and funnel tech. Thank you, David. Appreciate it. Okay, so these are the demand gen seekers who want to move into the demand gen agent. These are the ones that I want to focus on more in the future. And this is as I myself, I'm advancing, I think I will probably have to leave the people behind who want to, and that is the thing that I'm not really 100% sure about, that I want to leave the people behind who want to leave their established jobs and want to start their own business. So I've Two days ago, I enrolled my uh, another recent client who is exactly that, and he's great. I really like the guy. We instantly clicked, and we see that there will be a great collaboration. Uh, 
and he is still employed and he wants to get to a certain if once he hits a certain number he's going to leave and i just love this this is one of my favorite things to do is help people leave corporate if they want to so i do like that however i what i don't want to be doing and i really i just also i feel like i'm not very good at that is the mindset stuff because i'm just for me it's so clear i want to do mindset at a high level but I'm not sure I'm the best to help people with mindset issues that are really like basic, like having to get to, oh, just come on, let's get you to do sales, right? I, I have a few, and this is probably one of the weaker parts of my program. If, if somebody doesn't do the work, I just don't know how I can get them to do the work, right? And that's why I, I mean, everybody who has done what I told them to do has had success, has had at least a 300% ROI so far, right? Who's been in my standard program. There's a few outliers who have like smaller slices of the program. And yeah, but they, everybody who's done the work has had great success with it. I just sometimes cannot get people to do the work and they then fizzle out. So that is a problem. And I somehow need to address that, but let's Let's focus on the subsegment. So the people that I really enjoyed working with the most are definitely the uh, sales seekers. I mean, I do enjoy the clarity seekers as well. Damn, I enjoy all of them. <laughs> it's it's really tricky. Well, I mean, who says I have to limit myself to three subsegments? Let's just keep them as they are. Subsegment four. The thing that will change probably as I move up market and as I because I do, of course, want to increase my average ticket price. And I've recently increased my prices from 5K to 7.5K. So that's going to also bring with it that some people will not sign on. And I'm going to also go after, so far, the bulk of my clients were solopreneurs. I'm going to now increasingly go after small companies who, of course, have bigger budgets. So that's going to stay like this. But effectively, I can just use these as my those are my segments I'm just going to keep that because and i'm not going to go out for whoops that's quite big but yeah those are my those are my segments i love them all i want to work with them there's no need to to stop working with either one of them okay so clarity seeker sales seekers scale seekers and demand gen seekers but the the main benefit that i give them is this creating this system having the system that i'm now hinting at in this whoops yeah whatever no i didn't mean notifications i mean this i have small b2b develop client acquisition systems by splitting their fund into a heightened conversion machine and nurturing a content ecosystem if you've not seen this this is my funnel and the pot theory or model that says that you need to split your funnel, uh, your normal client acquisition funnel, that this is for the people who are ready to buy. For the 5%, you need to get them into a sophisticated system where they come to you, you give them valuable information, you make it easy for them to book a call, and so on. You want to do that. And to those who are not ready to buy it, you will put them into what I call the pot, where they just slowly simmer away. Maybe the majority of them will never become a client, but people become so familiar with you you will become such a little like celebrity in their world, which has happened to me sometimes. I've had people who, once I went on, a, on the phone with, with them, they said, oh my God, it feels like uh, I've known you for such a long time, but you don't know me, 
right? That kind of semi-celebrity status is just awesome. This is so perfect for uh, client acquisition because trust is completely established. You just don't need to do anything. They just come on their own, right? David, you're asking, that segment seems the most complex to me, Mike. Your example of that person is an outlier, I'd say, because he has a specific goal. Leave my corporate job is just vague. That's true, David. You are very right. And what I find uh, particularly interesting here is that the people there, they self-select. The successful clients who've come to me in exactly this position, they are corporate, they want to leave, but they don't know how. This is These are the people who are proactive and who only come inbound. I've never got somebody like that in an outbound way. No, wait, sorry, that's true. That's not right. It was right and that's not right. One of my earliest clients, I got her via outbound and she was a case like this. It's just that it's so unlikely that these people would want to move that I don't go at them directly anymore. I used to, I signed her up like a year ago so I would now not do any outbound prospecting. I just need, at this point, I need the signal from them that they want to work with me. But going outbound with people to leave their leave their job is a fool's errand. It's extremely, extremely unlikely you do that. Okay, so let's do a little bit of SWOT analysis here. What are my relative strengths and weaknesses? So strengths are definitely um, having a, a system... I'm also, a, I would say, non-humbly, I'm a good teacher. I, I pass on knowledge effectively. What else? What are my strengths? I, I would say, generous with time. I give people all the time they need. Thank you, Ilya. Yeah, it was just because people, uh, Ilya says there's an excellent parallel. I love the funnel and the pod. It's interesting because the, the concept of splitting your funnel, I got that from, uh, I think, where did I get it from? I don't know. I don't know where I got it from. But it's, a fa it's, it's really true. And it's just so obvious that sometimes you just don't recognize what's so obvious before you. There's different people. People are on a continuum. They're either super red hot, they want to buy with you, they just come to you inbound and, oh my God, how did that happen? That sometimes happens. It's just too rare to build a complete business on, but unfortunately, too many consultants and solopreneurs rely on that, on the red hot people coming to them. And for some who are so good and so, so well connected, it works. But the majority of people in the market are simply not like that. They just need to build, you need to build up confidence, need to build up trust with them, and they need to be in the pot. And what many people talk about is splitting the funnel having one funnel part for the for the 5% who are willing and ready to act and the another funnel for the 95 the thing is it's not a funnel for the 95% who are not ready to act who don't have high problem awareness yet you don't build an actual funnel for them you just put them into a content ecosystem that they then slowly simmer and marinate from perfect example recently i had a gentleman uh, come to me who says, I've been following you for a year, who then came to me and said, well, um, I'm, I'm ready, you know, so now we're just talking, we're just in the final stages of, of uh, wrapping things up and, and putting a bow on it. But that is exactly what you want. You want them to be simmering away. And the key thing for this is, this is so important, Ilya, I hope you're still here, uh, that you, as you are putting them in the pot, that the, you serve the pot like you would with a media product. 
you don't aim to convert anyone who's in the pot. Virtually, almost never. They just should be aware of what you do, ideally, but never send them pitches, never send them a, oh, if you sign up today, then 20%, only on my email is 20% off and this kind of stuff. That is not good uh, pot behavior, so to speak, right? You just have to treat them with the best possible content you have. Give them, give them really your best knowledge, best insights, but don't try to convert. It's not a funnel. The pod is not a funnel, okay? Okay, cool. What other strengths do I have? I think I'm really good in sales. And that is because I don't, I'm not pushy. I used to be a little bit pushy. I've abandoned that. And since I've abandoned that, like since I stopped doing all these kind of gimmicks, like uh, the action taker price, generally my conversion rate has improved. And I think one of the benefits is that I'm really trustworthy, right? People perceive it that way. I don't push. I uh, I try to have this kind of like quiet authority around me that gets people to sign up with me. Okay. And I think I'm also good at passing that on. And while I have not figured out a good way to to teach, to, to get people to take action when they don't want to, and I wonder if anyone can do that, but what I have done well is to help people overcome fear of sales. Then another strength is that I'm funny. I can do fun videos, but they take me a lot of time. But this is such an asset. Like if you can do fun videos regularly, if you can pull that off on LinkedIn, where everybody's relatively like stiff and boring uh, and or like super heart wrenching and I mean, vulnerable and stuff like that, then uh, you stand out. If you can do something genuinely funny, and I sometimes have the flashes of inspiration where I can be funny, and that just then usually takes off quite nicely. The question is whether this then leads leads to clients. It led to one client. The Palmer video led to one client. Okay. Um, good strengths. These are generally the strengths, and I'm just I would just say very dedicated. I mean, yeah, this is part of this. I'm really dedicated to my clients their success is my success and i really see it that way anybody who does not get results because they don't do the work then i kind of see this as a personal failure but i mean at some point i have to get over it okay good so those are my strengths let's look at what are my weaknesses well definitely somehow i haven't cracked the virality code on linkedin but also i think i'm beating myself up too much i have not studied it i haven't studied it in a very, very methodical way and really studied the greats, maybe even get some coaching on it myself. So far, my latest coaching has been much more in the outbound slash sales area. And I want to get away from that because I do believe that the future of B2B marketing is definitely in the marketing area and not in sales. Many people, especially when they, for example, run webinars, okay? You run a webinar with an ad to it and the webinar is aimed at oh, the three secrets of client acquisition. And then you, and if you want help, sign up here and we can have a call, you know, uh, a free strategy session and so on. It's just, this is getting old. This stuff is really, really getting old because this is not marketing, this is sales. You're effectively providing a sales presentation. And I really believe that the future of B2B client acquisition is much more in marketing, making people comfortable, giving them all the information they need so that they can make a decision to work with you, 
but it is not anymore in sales and pushing them over the edge. It will come more and more. Inbound is on the rise and outbound is on the decline. I talk about this in the, in the other live. Let me quickly show this to you. This is why many companies see CAC, client acquisition cost rise and outbound fail is because people are in the dark funnel. They enter the, and the dark funnel is, quickly the definition of the dark funnel, uh, is, is an emerging process through which B2B buyers increasingly decide what products or services they will buy. It's a web of informal interactions among trusted peers and quality content that educates, informs, and entertains. The only way how you can be successful in the dark funnel, if you are in it, if you're in the groups, if you're in these informal interactions and you provide great, really valuable content, and you have a system around it. And what I mean with system, for example, is that just now I had one uh, future client who is not yet fully comfortable, right? And so what I did is I put him on a dedicated email drip for those people who are not fully comfortable. It's just providing additional information, additional resources, more links to my videos so that he can become more and more and more comfortable with me. And that is also part of the entire funnel. And not many people do that. They think that, oh, once I've had them on a call, well, that's it. The funnel ends there and I hope that I will convert them. No, no, no. Even if they say no, at this point, you will still have some programs, some methodology, some uh, some resources for even that person. Okay. So, but sorry, I went away from, from the topic of the um, why... CAC rises and outbound fails is because people get into the dark funnel. They get influence from various people. They form an affinity to a certain brand, let's say to a coach, right? Even to like a business, even a LinkedIn coach. And they are in this dark funnel. They're slowly marinating away in people's content ecosystems. And they emerge ready to take action. And then there's this person, the company D, who's just shouting at them, who has not been active in the dark funnel. The person will never buy from that company. Although this company is doing everything right in terms of outbound and they provide um, great webinars and, and they have ads and so on. If they have not been part of the dark funnel where they can influence the person, they will not get that sell. And of course, this is a broad generalization. It's still possible. And yes, you still can do outbound, but you need to see outbound as a temporary crutch that will help you to win a couple of clients and tie you over the time it takes to win clients with your content. I really believe in this. This is maybe it, this will be part of my content narrative. Not maybe, this definitely will be, but I just still need to see how I will combine it with other areas of my narrative. We'll look at content narrative later. Okay. Um, so uh, David, as you said, showing people their dream, their wants is powerful marketing, and then you can concentrate next on delivering their needs. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Showing that the dreams and wants exactly. And then you have the needs because it's like when you get, um, when you market for like weight loss programs, right? What do you show? You show the happy, thin couple, you know, lounging on a beach, eating a, a healthy salad, right? That, that's what you show them. And then that's what they want. And then when you get them in, what, what do they need? They need to stop eating donuts, right? And to work out, which is all very painful. Max, the webinar fund you just talked about brings people millions, especially when this is a really good live webinar. Totally, totally. I don't deny this. And I don't think that it is um, that it's wrong in any way. I do believe, however, that it's on the way down. 
when compared to five years ago. I think the webinar model that then converts people right then and there, and that you expect to do this from just an ad, that somebody clicks on an ad, goes to a webinar, and then converts then and there, I think this is on the way down. I see the signals. People are telling me this. Specifically, I know one person who has been running very good, good variations of a webinar and uh, sees his numbers decline. I don't have this scientifically, but it feels to me like this. And it's also, even if it's not like that, I and maybe I will get to this point myself where I will use the webinar funnel, but I'm just so intrigued about the topic of organic content that you become such a trusted brand and, uh, you know, such a trusted content brand that people will want to work with you. And it takes longer. I absolutely acknowledge that. If you want to, probably the fastest way to make money is to take the webinar route, Max. So I, I agree with you. However, I think viewed from a 10-year perspective, and you see this with somebody like uh, Chris Walker. This guy, I mentioned him several times now. Let me Let me show him to you because he's... Uh, he's very good. If anybody, if you guys don't follow him yet, I definitely recommend that you do. It's essentially, he's the king of demand gen. Oh yes, exactly. And it was also him who inspired me with the topic of the split funnel. And I then developed it further into the funnel and the pot. He does not max. He doesn't, Chris does not do webinars. He does not convert people with ads to webinar, to call, to conversion, right? It's, it's a perfectly viable model. I think it's on the way down and I think his model is on the way up and I subscribe to his model and I'm applying many parts of his model to my audience, solopreneur, small B2B. He is working with bigger B2B companies. He's working with like huge um, SMP companies. Now he's getting much, much bigger and he is so good in content, in super brainy, businessy, marketing, riddled with acronyms type of content. And he's been incredibly successful with this doing, I mean, by now he's hired like 40 people. So I would guess he's somewhere in the five to 10 million range a year now. And uh, his pricing starts at 25K a month. And he's purely done this on the strength of his podcast and his LinkedIn presence. This guy does not do any outbound. He does not spend money on paid ads, nothing. And I think this has the potential to make him into a $100 million company. And all the people, Max, that you mentioned who are doing webinar funnels, I think they will peter out at, I don't know, because you you always have to pay for every client. That's the problem. Chris does not have to pay for clients, right? That's the big difference. And that's also the place where I want to get to. It's going to take me longer, but the, the brand that you build in the process is way, way stronger. And ultimately, I think all B2B should be focused on brand rather than just paying to get every incremental client. There's no economies of scale in this. I mean, there is economies of scale. Of course, if you keep uh, getting, if you keep paying only 20, 30% for client acquisition, sure, you can scale that to the moon. But we all know that as soon as you start scaling, you also, everything blows up in its complexity, right? The true scale lies in brand. Right. There's like Apple, if Apple stopped completely any marketing expenditure, it would, they would still be selling like crazy for many, many years, if not decades to come. Right. But if all the people running webinars would stop advertising, they're going to be out of money in a year. 
That's the problem because they don't have a brand. And somebody who has a brand uh, like Chris Walker, he just needs to produce content which doesn't cost him, just time. And that is the strategy that I also want to follow. So, okay. So, but let's get back to strengths and weaknesses. Somehow I haven't cracked the virality code on LinkedIn. That is the thing like organic content uh, distribution. Yeah, I generally also in terms of, for example, I run a podcast. Uh, you LinkedIn user, you're anonymous, but it's great to see you. Okay, so um, my podcast, very low uh, listenership figures. I think I had like some total 100 listens on Spotify. Oh, yes. This is me outing myself. Radical transparency. And maybe, how much do we have? Maybe some 300 listens on YouTube in total. So that's it. I'm just simply not yet good in content, in organic content distribution. And yet still I'm getting clients from that. So that is so freaking awesome because I see despite these low numbers and my posts... LinkedIn posts average maybe average 500 views. And despite that, more than I think 60% of my clients this year have been, yeah, where I, yes, I have my all my clients so far. 20 came from outbound, 24 from inbound, and four were referrals. So more than half, exactly half of my overall clients, but more than outbound, come from inbound. And that is despite my pretty lousy organic distribution reach. So that is a that is a strength. Like once somebody discovers me, they are relatively seen very likely to work with me, but I still uh, need to work on that because if I can scale that, boy then, then we're really, now we're talking. Okay, some other weaknesses. What I feel that in client group, I have not yet managed to foster a sense of strong community. I, I work really well with people one-on-one. -on -one. I think the group still has room to grow in terms of, uh, yeah, like group feeling isn't there yet, right? I don't have these super cool screenshots from the Facebook group where somebody says, oh my God, another 30,000 month and 17 people chiming in. Awesome, awesome, awesome. I just don't have that yet. Although, Again, as I said, everybody who's done the work in uh, and who's followed my instructions have had results, have been very successful. It's just that I have not yet put in enough time to really build a group feeling. And that leads to also a relatively low referral rate. So that means low referral rate. Yeah, so... I also think that my uh, my accountability system in the Alpha Lead Academy is good but not great. Uh, yeah, I need to get better. Need to get better with that. I need to improve the accountability system and just generally, like, as people onboard, they and I'm getting much better at this already. I used to. Sometimes it happens, even as, as recently as March, somebody onboarded, went on two calls with me and then just suddenly tapered off. And I never heard from them again. Although they seem to have gotten value in those two sessions, but it somehow fizzled out. Now I have a much better system where I give them specific instructions, but that also means, I think, so wait, let's put this here, strength. Onboarding and getting people to take action has 
significantly improved hand holding. However, it is also a downside. Hand holding is a downside because um, because clients become dependent on me. And my goal is, of course, to make them independent as fast as possible. I think that comes a little bit with the territory because I, I tend to compare it with group programs that I have been in and I never needed myself. I never needed that handholding, right? I rarely needed that kick in the butt and because I'm just very self-motivated intrinsically. But and that's why also I, I have a hard time. That's it. Maybe weakness is hard time empathizing with people who don't do the work. Right? I yeah, I find that a little bit difficult because I'm so intrinsically motivated, and I just need to see when I what I can do for people who need the additional push, and where indeed all hope is lost. <laughs> I just don't know that. So need to figure that out. Okay, what other weaknesses do we have? So, so strong community is not there yet. Accountability system could be improved. Handholding, yeah, I still think that the getting people to take action is not fully optimized and needs further work. Maybe some of our weaknesses is that the content not looking professional and slick enough. Oh, and then definitely weaknesses. And I discovered this uh, relatively recently is that I've been too dependent on my own coaches copying their system. And the thing is, and that is such an interesting insight. I had this recently. I hope uh, this is going to serve you. I love coaches. I'm a coach myself. And a coach should show you a couple of things that you currently need help with. But what is a very wrong idea is that you have absolutely no idea of how to do something. And you, like, after a long period of nail biting and hesitating, you sign up with a coach because you hope that they will be, they will help you solve that problem of client acquisition. And you look at them like they're your messiah, they're your savior. That is wrong. You really need to get away from this Is this if this is your case. You simply need to solve one specific thing, right? For example, in my case, and I kept repeating this now, organic LinkedIn, organic content, I'm not strong in this yet. I will study it, but I may actually conclude that I'm going to get some help with it, that I will invest because it's one specific thing. And I'm going to look for who is doing really well in this, who's also aligned with me. That's important because as many people who tell you, oh, just post vulnerable content and talk about how you were down and out and so on, tell your personal story. I don't like that. I want to share expertise. And I seen when I share expertise, it resonates. Like a, the rec a recent post wasn't um, the recent post that when, I mean, it didn't have a huge traction as none of my posts have massively, uh, but recently one post had good traction where I was referencing again the funnel and the pod I think right just not loading now not enough bandwidth but it's just that the, in these cases I might just invest with someone to help me out with a specific thing 
And I used to be too dependent on my own coaches, copying their system. And that has still after side effects, so to speak, or there's an aftermath of this particular thing because I've been too dependent on it. And now I'm slowly extricating myself from it. And I see that, and this is the, it's probably on the, in the, in the, in the strength side, I'm discovering how to figure things out myself without the help of a coach. Um, and it's working really well. For example, that funnel in the pot thing that I really, this is like an original thing of mine. It's still, it's built on something like the split funnel from Chris Walker, but it's still, it's relatively original and it re fucking resonates. I've already had like two people reach out to me because of the funnel and the pot thing. And they seem really, no, actually three, three in total. And they all seem very serious. So all of this can actually work. And this is my kind of a, a wider message. Trust yourself that you can figure things out on your own. It seems counterintuitive because I'm a coach and I sort of, I bank on people needing help, needing external help. But there needs to be a balance of that. You also need to go out there and do your own thing. And that tended to be, that was definitely a weakness in the past to depend on my coaches. And that was something I discovered, I think in July. In July, it really hit me that I'm too depending on my own coaches, copying their system, and I need to go out there and develop stuff myself. And so I'm really at the beginnings of this, right? That was in July, now it's mid-September. So I need to um, get develop my own kind of methodology there. And because I tend it used to be clobbered together from other people without my special flavor imbued. I just took different things and it looked like this Frankenstein monster with like sewed on bits from other people. And I'm slowly coalescing it into my own creation. And that's really exciting. It's, I, I love this entire process. Cool. Um, David questions. One of my favorite life applicable quotes, everyone wants to be a bodybuilder. Nobody wants to live in heavy weights. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that was, I think, in reference to the topic of um, not people not wanting to do outbound. Clearly. Good. So I think there's some decent strengths and weaknesses. Opportunities. What are the opportunities? Well, first of all, there's a huge surge in the whole topic of, um, of demand gen, of marketing with leading with content away from sleazy sales tactics to towards building trust and that is i mean that's a whole thing um oh hi mirko i haven't seen you good to see you uh that's the whole thing of why i started the com my company content 360 pretty much exactly five years ago it was mid-september that i was mid-september 2016 when i was fired the that was my whole reason why I wanted to uh, start a content marketing agency is because I was fired for the reason of wanting to build trust with our audience first before selling to them. That was my whole story. And I see this getting more and more. The market, the trends are validating me that this is the way how you sell these days. People are so well-informed. It's so easy to get yourself an opinion on a provider, on a product, that it's it's getting more and more difficult to completely cold approach someone and sell to them. It still works. I'm doing it still. It's still working. Right? The most recent client came in from cold outbound, cold email. 
But the reason why I was able to sell him was because of my pretty good now content ecosystem. Somebody signs up to get a call with me. Well, what do I do? They first, after the quick get together, uh, get to know each other uh, call, they get a long video where they marinate in my philosophy, in my content approach, in my how I do sales. And this builds trust. That video is also on a page that contains virtually all of my testimonials. So they can see I'm not just fly-by-night kind of guy. I have people on camera testifying to working with me and all of that. So yes, I do get strangers on the phone via cold outbound. But the reason why I then have very high conversion figures is because of my content, is because of the trust that I've established with my previous clients and the credibility that I have based on all my online profiles and so on. And so building uh, building trust, selling via trust is exactly where the world is going. It's getting more and more. If you doubt it, just think about the last three major purchases that you've made for your business. Let's just keep it that broad and think about how you learned about it. Somebody either recommended them or you saw some content from this company. That would be my bet. 80% of these guys, you did not Google. You did not Google, oh, I need software for blah, blah, blah. SEO is becoming less and less relevant. Seriously. I paid ads for sure, but people don't search for stuff on Google anymore to decide whether they want to buy a product or service for their business. You always ask in a little group if you want to... Uh, sorry, you ask in a little group, hey, anybody knows a good designer? And then people recommend you and then you go to them. Or somebody is so persistently in your content feed, you're so good with their content that you say, okay, if I need a designer, I'm going to go to that guy, right? Obviously. Actually, one of the things that is a weakness is, one weakness that I have is that community. I mean, it's here. I have it here. Community, where is it? Not even, it's not strong sense of community, low referral rate. I'm just not good at community building. I need to improve on that. I don't like my Facebook group that I have the organic Facebook group, like 65 people. Okay. This is nothing. I have not nurtured it. I have not fostered anything there, but I just sometimes post content, but community building is definitely a weakness. I need to improve on that. All right. So, but let's continue in the opportunities. What are the opportunities in my market? I have a huge surge in the whole topic of demand gen. That is awesome. I love that. Um, what are other opportunities? I mean, there's opportunities in the market and then opportunities. I see, yes, uh, there's my competitors. Um, many of my competitors are very, are either too transactional, don't provide good service, and I'm talking about people who just get you into a program. You just see the videos, but there's very few coaching calls. There's not a lot of kind of one-to-one -one attention. And I still provide that. Also, thanks to the fact that I'm still relatively small. But that is an opportunity for me to stand out. And then are either two transactions, don't provide good service, or um, attract uh, the get-rich-quick crowd. Right. Many of my competitors that I see, it's all these people who say, oh, seven-digit selling secrets and this kind of stuff. Right, And I feel that the audience that works with me, which tend to be slightly older people, 
Uh, on average, I would say my average client age, I would reckon is about my age, which is 43. So I would say it's on average people are in their 40s who work with me. I, my oldest client is 64. And I believe my youngest client, although I haven't asked her age, is probably in her late 20s, right? So it's more the 40 plus crowd that works with me. And I think they are quite immune to the 27 year olds with the Ferrari. So get rich quick crowd, Ferrari mansion types. And that is an opportunity for me to stand out as somebody who is still very successful. And I'm going to convey that of course. And I don't know how to convey that, to be honest, without showing screenshots of my bank account, right? And this kind of stuff and showing all oh, transaction in the last month. I think that will still be necessary. But that I can, this is how I stand out with my versus my competitors. I am um, more professional. And sure, I'm not, I'm not for everyone. That is clear. But yeah, I tend to be I would at least hope that I'm on the more professional side. Okay. Um, I mean, this is a huge opportunity and I don't know if I should somehow phrase it out more and, and, and make it more um, obvious or, or no, sorry, not more obvious, more specific, but this general trend in the market towards trust building marketing is exactly up my alley. And sooner or later, I'm going to really break through on this and that's going to help me get to that million dollar figure a year as i said at the outset by the way if you've come later i just realized at the outset that i will probably have to hire somebody and these are the figures that it takes i'm gonna have to if i were to just do all the sales calls myself i have to spend 19 hours a week doing that so it's just to catch you up who've joined only recently okay let's look at threats threats are uh, well there's always threats that that um, but I do think I'm building quite a big moat. Yes, that's true. The op another opportunity is that um, my moat is getting better and better thanks to, to client testimonials. David, I guess you'd really want to make it more specific or quantifiable if it's something you are keen to target. What do you mean? Well, I don't understand what you mean, David. Could you be more specific? My mode is getting better and better thanks to client testimonials. And that does make a difference. Sometimes people, and these client testimonials are nice and meaty and, and videos, you know, where you can really see the whole person. And it's not just the, oh my God, like a screenshot of something, right? These are getting uh, less and less credible. And this instead, the fact that you have video testimonials and so on, that really, really helps. And of course, there's people with even more of them, but it's like my mode is getting better. Now, what are the threats? Of course, competitors could, well, kind of with, I want to say with Chris Walker's success, and this guy is really impressive. I mean, if you just, just look at him in, and if you follow him a little bit, he has like within two years built a company of 40 people selling at 25K a month with having so much work that he doesn't know, he cannot accommodate every incoming request. Okay. It's really impressive. Maybe I'm too much in a Chris Walker bubble here, but I'm thinking that he must have influence on people. I think there's like 15,000 people listening to his, his podcast every week that it could mean that there's now such a strong trend that many people are going to jump on that bandwagon and that I'm going to be, uh, yeah, that I could be left behind. 
but I don't think that this is the case. For example, there's, I'm definitely sure that, for example, somebody like Stephen Pope, big guy, love him, but he's definitely on the Chris Walker train and he's like one step ahead of me. However, what Stephen Pope does, I think does not do, he does not do great sales training, for example, and like outbound prospecting, this kind of stuff. I think I'm really, really good at that, right? Helping people to overcome the, the, the fear of sales. These, these guys are all inbound, right? And I think sometimes, especially for the beginners, I think Stephen Pope would be actually a great guy for me, but not so much for my clients because they are, they still need help with sales. If you're completely at zero, you will not be able to get enough business just doing inbound. And so people need me. Uh, you need me. If you're at zero, you want to get to 10, 20 K a month. You, if you want to get to, let's say 50 K a month and you're already at 20 K, maybe a guy like Stephen Pope can, can, can be the right guy, right? That is still something I need to get to. Okay. So, but with Chris Walker's success, other um, coaches could overtake me. I don't know if that's such a big threat because the, the pie is big for, for most people. And I, my mode is very solid now. Okay. But David, so what'd you say? You said with regard to the opportunity in demand generation, how is that an opportunity for you? I think you're talking about opportunities right now, actually, Ray Stephen Pope. Hmm. Not really, because it's more like that the if the Stephen Popes proliferate, then it will be a threat for me, right? Because then I would be just one of many and uh, there's a lot of competitors. So I don't think so. Depends. I mean, what are the threats for me? I don't know. What's a, what's, what's a threat? I mean, threat is if I don't do the work, <laughs> stay complacent. I don't have a huge uh, amount of like investments or, or assets in this. So I can, I, and I'm still on my own, so I can still shift pretty, pretty quickly. Um, oh yeah. So, sorry. So David, you said with regards to the opportunity demand generation, how is that an opportunity for you? Make it more specific or quantifiable. Um, yeah. I cannot quantify how, like how much the market is shifting towards demand gen. And imagine being this whole thing of um, building trust via content, effectively building a content brand for your non-content business, right? Even if you're selling widgets to plumbers, you have to become the best widget content provider in the world. That's what's going to keep you in business. And that whole thing is just, you see this everywhere. I mean, great content is, is so key. People are spending hours and hours and hours and every day on YouTube being plugged into podcasts. And so on. there's a huge surge in this area. I don't have the numbers. Maybe David, you're, are you holding me to account? Are you holding me accountable here? Should I, should I bring in all the numbers? It just has a giant trend towards that. I don't think I have to um, get very deep into like market growth in this. It's just, you, you sense that you feel that. And that is, by the way, that's one of the messages of Chris Walker. He says, most of the things will just be in your gut. The metrics, the previous, the metrics of uh, of the past are more and more being replaced by your gut. You sense when a content is resonating. I didn't have a huge amount of engagement on the funnel and the pot thing, but I can see given how many that people have already reached out to me for it. I've just recently had just a change in my LinkedIn headline reflecting my funnel and pot methodology. I get like an inbound lead within a day, within two days. Right. Somebody says, I loved your uh, headline. Let's talk. Right. So 
I can sense that. And this kind of gut feeling, it comes with experience, it comes with the years, and it comes with the sense you get from how your content resonates. Okay. These are the threats. I don't, uh, yeah, I see other coaches could overtake me. Could I really be banking? Is it possible that I'm betting on the wrong horse? I might be, I might be betting on the wrong horse with content, but I just don't believe it. Right now, I just don't, absolutely don't see it. Or maybe a threat could be that I have uh, long-term damage done to my personal brand through my strong outbound push in the past. So, I did that. so it's sort of that I poisoned the well. That's a good image. The well with outbound motions. Possible. Yeah, maybe with some people, but then I think over time this is going to remove itself. As I'm doing less and less outbound and really building my inbound credentials, this is going to get less and less. So I think this, if it's a threat, then it's a decreasing, decreasing threat. Okay. I think we... I mean, another thread would be, for example, hubris. I think I tend to be quite volatile. So I think once I hit, let's say, 40, 50K months, I hit 40 to 50K months, I might get too cocky and mess things up. Those are the, those are the threads. Okay. Now let's look at the three biggest gaps. Uh, yeah, I mentioned it's too dependent on other coaches so far. I need to go my own way. But what are now the three biggest gaps? So definitely gap number one is uh, organic content reach and distribution sucks. Gap number two. With gap number two, I think I need to community building. That's another gap. And then also accountability systems for clients. I would say because the this uh, gaps should be things that you still need to work on. The fact that I'm too dependent on other coaches, that is something that I really do see is in the past. It's not relevant anymore. I've seen it. I've seen the light, so to speak. And so I am going my own way, but maybe that would be worth mentioning because I only recently did it. Confidence in really going my own way. But I think this is not something that I need specific action items around because as I do the work and I see more success and I am seeing more success already, as I mentioned, people reaching out to me just for a headline change. This is going to take care of itself. I always say, if you need confidence in one specific area, just do the work and the confidence will come naturally. Confidence is a byproduct of action and of being able to trust yourself that you're going to do the work when you, when you said you would do the work, right? That's where self-confidence comes from. You can actually trust yourself that you will do the work. Okay. So... This is more like a gap for we can we can make it uh, unbold because it's not a thing to really work on. But those things, community building, accountability systems for clients is mainly the thing. Well, let's look back. Is there anything else that are gaps? What are the weaknesses? 
yeah, podcast, low listenership figures. That is a that is a thing that is part of the organic content distribution. I just need to learn more about that. Right? That's interesting because the guy who I have this method of, like, of sharing your strategy openly with the world, Louis Grenier, he did that. Great, uh, great guy. Really recommend you you look at him. He did it the other way around. I think he started his own podcast while he was still employed, and then he did it for a while while being on his own. But he first built this huge audience, and then he started to figure out how to monetize it. I didn't have the time to do it. I was fired. I needed to make money. And so I started simply consulting. And now I'm trying to backfill the process of creating content and being creating content I'm good at. What I'm not yet very good at is the distribution of it and becoming really popular. Also, what I think was definitely a weakness in the past, I always had to mix in some of my political views. And I think that has put people off. I need to, yeah, I, I just need to, and I stopped already completely with this. I always thought it's going to make me quirky and unique, but I think it's more of a liability and I stopped doing that completely. So all of this is like everything is moving in the right direction. Uh, but yeah, so Louis, Louis Grenier did this, that he started doing um, the content, build a huge audience, and this uh, now he's monetizing and it's doing really well. I'm going the other way, but that's probably legit. So sense of community, accountability system, handholding. Yeah, and the accountability system needs to include self-accountability for the clients because I don't want them to depend on me. I want them to learn from me, absolutely. But uh, yeah, they should just learn but not depend on me. I don't think the content not looking professional slick enough that that is an issue, although I'm sure maybe there's something, a small thing I could improve. Yeah, yeah, so that's that. Accountable system for clients and uh, making them independent of me, not depending too much on me. Okay, so now let's do, oh, let's quickly look at content style and main narrative. So this has been really, um, showing itself over the last few few weeks, I would say, that the stuff that resonates relatively the most is, well, definitely not anything where I'm trying to be vulnerable. I, I just hate that. I hate this stuff. So I just really want to provide real value. And I see this with the things like funnel and thought. So definitely funnel and thought, that is, those are the narratives. Right, somebody sexy that's related to... Ah, forget it. No. Uh, so that is uh, content style. Uh, I really feel like Chris Walker is a great is a great uh, guy to emulate. Chris uh, Walker style, very brainy, uh, technical skills focused. But also, what he has is he has a message, a message with which. I let's formulate it in that I am okay. I have a message with which I challenge the status quo. And so what are my what are my main narratives? And by the way, how am I going to do this? I am going to do this by doing podcasts for long form content clips for short form and LE distribution. 
I'm also going to restart. I tried to do this Ask Me Anything style podcast, AMA podcast, and it just didn't work. I could not get a critical mass. But again, I did not put enough work in it in doing that, in creating that community. And I think this is a thing I absolutely need to get back to because I do want to provide value even to people who cannot afford to work with me. And that will then build so much goodwill that these people, when they, for example, get to a point where they can work with me, they will. Or they will recommend me to others. But this kind of Ask Me Anything podcast uh, I need to do. And then clips from that, that's going to take care of all my, all my marketing needs, I'm pretty sure. Yes. And so the main narratives with which I challenge the status quo is funnel and pot, which means split your funnel because what most the interesting the really interesting thing is big b2b companies tend to over focus on sales and that is the message of chris walker he says need to do more marketing put out content really serve your audience with great content that is the chris walker message it's in big b2b small b2b and solopreneurs are overdoing it on marketing in and small b2b usually on referrals and network and so on but uh, solopreneurs are totally overdoing it on on marketing they just and they don't really have a system to it they some of them put out great content and with that they get enough clients inbound but what they are absolutely underestimating is the power of once somebody gets into your funnel build a really good funnel for them like create these additional email sequences, create these additional things that will, um, you know, get somebody who's hesitant over the line, optimize every single tiny step in the funnel. That is what solopreneurs completely undervalue and suck at, to be honest. So split your funnel. Don't treat every lead, every person um, like they can be sold to. Wait, David, I'm going to respond to you in a second. Don't treat every person like they can be sold to, but uh, respect their need for content only. Don't pitch them. Then uh, there's so much opportunity to optimize your sales funnel. There's like all these little sequences that you can, you can give to people, specific videos you can get them to absolutely underused i think it's one of the one of the reasons why one of my clients has recently renewed that's my first client who has actually removed renewed which is not a surprise my program used to run for a year and uh, i've only got the first clients in like yeah one and a half years ago so he's the first client who's renewing and with him we're going to be really working hard on the optimization of his funnel really exciting this is for the five percent right not for the 95 so there's so much opportunity to optimize sales funnel for solopreneurs and small B2B. It's not even funny. There's a huge amount of opportunity. So we're going to improve that. So those are the main narratives. What else is the main? Oh, yeah, that's a great one. And this is an area where I disagree a little bit with Louis Grenier, who is all about how to radically stand out, how to be something completely different. And I think the, the need to be radically different is widely overused and exaggerated 
you don't need to be super insanely unique, right? You don't have to be uh, the chef who also juggles and is swallows swords and fireballs uh, or something like this. It's you don't need to be incredibly unique. If you just do a good job, you're reliable. You will be able to build a great business with this. If you just simply do the right things, you publish great content, you do great, you have a great funnel, you have a great conversion funnel, right? If you do all of that right, you can build a definite, and I'm going to prove it to you. I'm going to prove it to you all. I'm not have a, I don't have a huge standout message. I provide good quality, solid B2B marketing and sales. And I'm going to build this to a million dollar company with just myself, maybe one employee. Okay. You will see that you don't have to be radically different. That is one of my main messages and one that I'm totally going to drive very hard in the future that just don't fuck shit up. You know, sorry. I just, now, damn, now this, uh, this podcast is explicit. I have to tick the explicit button, but just don't mess things up. Don't do the wrong things and you're going to be fine. Right? So you see, I'm quite passionate about this one. David, what are you saying? I would like to see more live content. It's really fun and powerful to engage with an audience content creator in this format. But yes, you need some mass to drive engagement. Nonetheless, you have to start somewhere. I've helped Twitch streamers grow their audiences, but it's 100% focused on community building and providing spaces to do that, creating a Discord server in parallel with their streaming channel. Yeah, I've heard about Discord. I don't really know what it is. I'm aware of Twitch. I think it's a giant waste of time. I never understood that people want to watch people watching uh, playing video games. So I'm very new to this world, but I'm sure there's stuff to learn from this. So yeah, great point, David. I'm going to very much look into this uh, live content. Uh, and then you say, I'll admit it's a more difficult task in a B2B context, but I think it's something that can be explored and achieved. Yeah, great idea. Great idea. It's really good. So one of the things community building, e.g. via live content. Let's look into that. Thank you, David. Appreciate that. Okay. Uh, so those are the main narratives. I shouldn't overdo it. And the thing is, also one of the things I learned, uh, I see from Chris Walker, is that this guy is just hammering his stuff. Sometimes it can almost feel boring. Right, where you see, oh, yet again, he's talking about ABM. Or again, he's talking about marketing versus sales. And again, he's talking about demand gen. But the thing is, there's very probably relatively few people who are... Um, there's few people who are hardcore fans like me and the majority of people just kind of pass by and they see him once a month or something. Like that. And for that, and that is definitely great that I'm talking about this. It's a weakness. And I've heard this from people is that many people don't know what I do. My content doesn't tell them. And that's because I tried to look at things from, um, frequent follower from like a super fan point of view. I was so far, and that is, geez, that is now a good insight. See, that's why it's quite useful to do these things. I used to do, to do content for super fans. That is something, kudos to, I don't know if he's still listening, Maximilian Sal. He recently mentioned this in one of his emails. The content you need to put out on LinkedIn is top funnel content. And then in emails and so the nurturing content is much more, you can be much more specific, much more tactical. But I used to mix these things. So uh, the weakness is, yeah, so we, we can see how I can phrase this. But the idea is that your message needs to be front and center in your 
in your LinkedIn content, you need to do top funnel stuff. And there, keep hammering the same message over and over. Yes, from different angles, explore from different you know, viewpoints, but it needs to be mainly about your key messages. That's what Chris Walker is so great in. And I think one of the reasons why people sometimes tell me, I don't know what you are doing, I don't know what is actually your product, is that I've tried to look at things from a super fan um, point of view so that I don't bore them. Because if somebody follows me every day, opens every email, then I might bore them if I constantly hammer the same few points. But I need to stop doing my, geez, that could be like a big breakthrough for me. I love that. I, I need to stop doing content for super fans. Great stuff. Okay, so let's look. We have the three biggest gaps. Organic content reach and distribution sucks. Community building via live content and accountability systems for clients. I have the content style and main narrative. Now, let us go into actions. What am I going to do as, as actions? So in the gaps... I will need to organic. Let's let's copy these things over because I need to take actions in all of those gaps. Organic content reach and distribution sucks. So first of all, actions. Stop doing content for super fans, but rather for top funnel on LinkedIn. Um, yeah, that's on LinkedIn on email fine to do more mid funnel stuff etc then i need to study this right systematically study the greats and learn from them again i need to make sure that i don't fall into the trap of uh, don't copy just study and apply selectively but i cannot do this Think, oh, I'm just going to be the next Chris Walker. I'm not going to. I will have different aspects, but he's probably the closest one who I want to emulate. But I also will study the people uh, who are different than me. For example, Leah Turner. She's a LinkedIn coach as well, has achieved phenomenal success, is very different from me, is a tattooed, blonde, good-looking lady who is sharing sometimes very personal content. That's totally not me. I'm still going to study her and understand how they do. And so systematically study the greats. What am I going to do? I'm going to publish at least, because if you don't put it out there, you know, it doesn't count, at least five, uh, max 10, let's say between five and 10, in-depth case studies of content greats how they did it, what's their secret sauce. And I'm going to do research about it. So I would say let's spend at least, uh, let's say, seven hours on each of them to understand them. And then hopefully I'm going to try to get them on the podcast, so to, to validate and verify my hypotheses around them. And that's how I'm going to study them. Okay study the greats and learn from them. So this is going to take me, yeah, and I'm going to do this, the publish in Q4, at least five. In Q4, I should be able to commit to five. No, sorry, I still have, I have a couple of other projects going on. I'm going to do publish at least three. And in Q1, 
publish another five at the in-depth case studies of content grades and how they did it. What's their secret sauce? That's good. Okay, stop doing content for super fans. And then, um, yeah, that's, I think that's good. And then just keep posting uh, content as I go. No changes there. I'm posting five to six times like in-depth content. I'm doing my watch posts as well, but this, I'm going to keep doing uh, the content as I do. The formats will stay the same. But by studying the grades and by going, stopping doing content for super fans, that's my current hypothesis, how I'm going to widen my reach there. Also, I need to study how to build, uh, no, how to get podcast wider reach. And this gets into community building, uh, how to get people on an AMA uh, call. How to get people on an AMA call and get them asking questions. I just need to figure that out because it sucks. I tried to do it. It failed it earlier this year. I want to do it again. Cool. Gap uh, two. I would say the gap four, coming going my own way, finding my voice. And I would actually like to make this bold because I still feel like I need to find my voice. Let's put it here. Gap four, find my voice. And I'm already starting to do that. For example, I don't know if you saw my podcast with Evan Thompson. I'm going to now do a monthly podcast with Evan where I episode uh, episode with Evan where I explore philosophy and business. I love those topics. I love the discussion with Machiavelli we had. We have an upcoming podcast episode next Thursday actually where we're going to be, yeah, in a week, in a week's time where we're going to be discussing Machiavelli again. So if you want to hear that and be live in it, then definitely sign up to the email list, michaelbonus.com slash subscribe. You're gonna, you can be part of that. Okay, but that's that. Let's see community building. How to get people on AMA call? Simply, I need to study this. I need to spend at least 10 hours in Q4 studying community building best practices and apply them. How to get people on AMA call and get them asking questions. Also, how I mean, the community building will also then translate into my content, doing lives, how to get people in and engaged, and also Facebook slash LinkedIn groups, how to get more people in and get them engaged. That is all stuff I need to study, and I'm going to do it more, give it. 20 hours in Q4. I need to study this. How much weeks, how many weeks do we have left? We have like 12 weeks left in this year. This means I need to spend more than that. I need to spend at least, let's say, five hours a week. So this means five hours a week. That's like, let's say, 50 hours. 50 hours in Q4, studying community building, best practices, apply them, doing how to do lives, uh, best practices, and apply them. How to get people on an AMA call, doing lives, Facebook, and LinkedIn groups. How to get more people, get them engaged. That's good. That's a good action plan. 
accountable. And I think with all of this, I'm right now, I mean, September is turning out to be a really good month. I'm already now at 20K, but of course it's going to go up and down. I, as soon as I hit like 30, 40K months, I'm going to be looking for someone. Oh, David, thank you so much. Um, yeah, link to the newsletter to, to subscribe. Uh, I'm definitely going to be starting to looking at somebody to, uh, to hire like a one trusted person. I can, I can get to a million, but I will need one person. I'm going to start doing that. Um, just that's kind of an aside, uh, hire, uh, right hand person when I hit an uh, average, I hit three average 40 K months. That's when it absolutely makes time to hire someone, but not before. Okay. So we have the community building. We have very clear actions. Uh, stop doing content, systematically study the grades we set, publish at least we have quantifiable goals here. So in Q4, I'm going to publish this stuff. And I think by studying the grades, and by doing this research in how to do community building best practices, I think the main challenge that I have, namely the lack of traction with my organic content, should really be at a much better place. By the, let's say, let's actually see, check in point. In six months, what are good numbers that I want to have in terms of viewership? I would like to have average it's difficult because views on linkedin are generally going down but i would simply like as a good benchmark i would like to have average 10 people in free ama calls and let's say 30 plus likes average on a LinkedIn content. It's not, I'm not, I'm not up, up behind vanity metrics. It's not my point, but it is a reflection of how much reach you're getting. And of course it needs to be relevant likes, but I, I my likes are very relevant. That's actually a good, um, that's actually a good metric to look into. Namely of your likes, how many of them are your ideal uh, customer profile? In my case, it's very high, right? I always tell my clients at least 10, maybe 20% should be your ICP. In my case, when you look at my content, it's like 70, 80% are my ICP. I love that. That is exact. That is the reason why I get, I don't get wide reach, but I get bloody good um, conversion on my inbound content. Just only this year, I've had like 12, 13 clients just come from my, from my content. And so... That's that. I just don't have wide reach, right? So the 30 plus likes on average will be a good benchmark. So this is the check-in point in six months. So at the end of Q1 2022, I need average 10 people in free AMA calls and 30 plus likes on content. Let's just make that as a, as a check-in point. Good stuff. And then what are the actions in accountability systems for clients and making them independent of me? Oh, that's a tricky one. That's a tricky one. I will. Um, Let's say I can only quantify it with hours again. Dedicate 10 plus uh, hours. No, so I'm going to, no, that's it. Interview five 
customers who have not done the work and find out what I could have done better. Right? That's it. That's that's uh, I mean issue that I sometimes maybe also I should have not sold these people. Maybe I missed some signals that I should have seen. Yeah, that I simply didn't see that where they were telling me that they will not be doing the work and I need to filter better for that. But I do always feel, I tell them what is going to be necessary and they say, yes, they will do it. But somehow people, some customers simply didn't do the work. And so I will find out what I could have done better. Then study some best practices. I'm just simply going to research this, see who has published content around this. 10 hours of research and then implement. That's it. Those are the gaps and the actions that I will take. Find my voice, monthly podcast. Yeah, this is kind of that. And also, I mean, just by doing the content as I plan to do it with, for example, funnel and pot, that's like a perfect analogy. It's like the funnel and pot is my entry into the world of finding my voice. That is already that this will come with the content commitments that I have up there. Cool. Okay. And that is, that's an old link. Okay. So I don't have time anymore. We have eight minutes left and I have a client call now, but I, what I will do. And if you sign up to my newsletter, I'm going to also share this. This will get condensed into a one pager. This is now four pages that we've done together. Thank you so much for your input. Uh, especially David, really, really great, uh, great uh, impulses from you. I'm going to, of course, you will have access to this. You can look at this yourself. I'm also going to send you a link to the finished document. There's going to be a one pager that I started doing here, but we won't have time to fill that out. And yeah, that is the strategy to build a $1 million business. I hope this was useful. And uh, thank you so much for your engagement. I see you later. Again, sign up to the newsletter, www.michaelbohannes.com slash subscribe. You can, uh, it's, I sent two weekly emails. They're all value. On occasion, I mention what I do, but there's never a hard sell on that. And I'm going to send you the links to all the documents, well, to this one document and the condensed version. And I talk to you later. Thanks so much, everyone. Bye-bye. The State of Client Acquisition is a Content360 production. Music by Gavin Knox Grand. To sign up for alerts and to submit written and audio questions, go to stateofclientacquisition.com. I'll talk to you in the next episode. Come